Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for dads in their 40s who want to improve their health and fitness. This is episode 65, and joining me on today's show is Dave Asprey, who is the father of biohacking and the creator of the Bulletproof Diet. Over the last two decades, Dave has worked with world-renowned doctors, researchers, scientists, and global mavericks to uncover the latest, most innovative methods, techniques, and products for enhancing mental and physical performance. Dave has personally spent over $2 million taking control of his own biology, pushing the bounds of human possibility, all in the name of science, evolution and revolution. Dave's mission is to empower the entire globe with information and knowledge that unlocks the superhuman in everyone at any age. Hi Dave, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I am doing really well. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, like I said, really appreciate you taking the time to, to come onto the podcast today. Um, how have you been in this crazy uh, 2020 that we're all facing uh, right now? You know, I've done enough neurofeedback and personal development work uh, to understand uh, fear uh, versus right. reality. And I did an episode early on in the, in the pandemic where I talked about what's called a moral panic. When everyone starts doing something because it's fear driven, but it's the right thing to do. And we have a huge amount of hygiene theater. Like we know it's not spread by touching things, yet we sterilize the crap out of everything, which is bad for us. Yeah. Right? We need a microbiome. We need a skin biome. And we're doing it not because it's, it works. We're doing it yeah. because we signal that we are moral beings and we care about others. And we've got to stop doing that because moral panics can destroy societies. In fact, it's in the middle of doing that right now. The middle class is being wiped out all yeah. over the planet. Yeah. So uh, that said, I'm lucky I have multiple companies. Uh, one of mine is in live events, restaurants, and um, a replacement for gyms. I mean, it's been rough. There's no doubt about it. I mean, those are all three of the worst businesses all in one. So I've really struggled uh, to save that one. Others, I mean, Bulletproof makes stuff that makes people healthier and stronger and and less hungry. And, you know, it's a good thing to be in an e-commerce health oriented time. And my neurofeedback company is going crazy because people are more stressed. And so that's called 40 years of Zen, by the way. It's, you know, you come there for five days and hack your brain. And people can't sleep. So they're buying my True Dark, the, the glasses that do more than block blue. So I'm grateful. I live on an island. We raise our own food anyway. So like I, I, I couldn't be happier that I left, you know, the California madness yeah. in order to move to Canada 10 years ago. So I'm, I'm in a crown country. Um, and I, I just look at my friends in LA and San Francisco and Silicon Valley and New York and man, there's a lot of pain. And my friends in yeah. London, it, it is, is really scary. Right. Yeah. And here I am, you know, my biggest problem is rain. So I'm lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're so right, though. It's like, you know, the, the, the following the masses and um, the hysteria and everything that's created as a result of media. Um, and I, I don't know if you had the same kind of things over there, but, you know, we had this crazy situation of people bulk buying toilet roll and rice and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's just, yeah, it is um, quite alarming how, you know, people just follow the crowd. So, um, yeah. But they... For, for people that haven't come across you, Bulletproof, and all the, the really good stuff that, that you're doing, can you give us a, a brief kind sure. of introduction or background on you before you kind of got to, to Bulletproof and, um, you know, what caused you to create Bulletproof in the first place? I was a, a, an early innovator in Silicon Valley. Uh, I was a co-founder of the company that held Google's first server right. uh, back when it was, you know, when the Facebook was around instead of Facebook. Yep. And I made $6 million when I was 26. Right. And I lost it when I was 28. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, and I had hit 300 pounds. So my career is taking off, but my brain is, is not working. I've had arthritis since I was uh, 14 in my knees. Okay. 
Uh, I've been on antibiotics every month for 15 months from chronic sinus infections. I can't remember what's going on in meetings. And I'm, I'm genuinely worried. Right. And a doctor told me vitamin C would kill me, which was such garbage right. that when I challenged him with basic, like, how can this happen? He basically had no answer and I fired him. So right. I became an angry uh, entrepreneur who just did all of my own health research yeah. because I tried everything that was supposed to work. And then when it didn't, I said, I'm going to measure what works. And because I'm a computer hacker, literally a computer hacker by training, right. uh, then I'm just going to hack myself. And that led to the creation of a field called biohacking, which has millions of people who follow it. And it's been written about in all the magazines. I created the Bulletproof Diet, which is how I recovered from being a vegan when oh, I yeah. thought a low-fat diet, a plant-based diet would be helpful. No, it is not. Plant-based diets are not good for you. Yeah. Eating lots of certain plants is good for you, though. So you don't have to be all or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> There's this amazing thing called being in the middle um, right. that we seem to have lost societally around the world right now. And the Bulletproof Diet, like I was saying, a million pounds, I don't know how many stone that is, but it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, and... Since then, I've written about how to live way past 100 and how it is happening right now. It's not a science fiction in the future. It is today and what to do yeah. to live longer than you're supposed to with the brain that works. Uh, and my new book is called Fast This Way that's coming out shortly. Okay. Order it now on Amazon. You can go to fastthisway.com to get a link to it. And there... No one will fast, especially in the UK. And I have you know friends and family in the UK. I'm over there to speak a lot. Uh, Bulletproof products have been in demand there for eight years. Uh, Tom Watson has been a big supporter okay. um, who lost, I think, five stone on yeah. Bulletproof. And yeah. has just been very vocal about that. I'm like, he's been on my show, Bulletproof Radio. And it's funny. I'm a, I'm a, a tech, fat, computer hacking entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> kind of how I self-identified at the beginning yeah. of this. I was desperate. Yeah. The stuff didn't work. And I wasn't desperate because I was fat. I was already married. Like I, I right. you know, it's okay if you gain it. If you have a dad bod, like it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it was this problem of my brain will work. My emotions are all over okay. the place. I'm getting pissed when I shouldn't be pissed. And by the way, I really want to say bollocks. And even though I worked for a company in Cambridge, England, for a long time, I still can't use that word right. So I'm just avoiding it entirely. <laughs> it's enough. too complex. It's too British. <laughs> But anyway, I, I was having a, a bad time and it was that desire to do this that led me to an anti-aging nonprofit group. And I'm learning right. from guys three times my age who have more energy than me. And yeah. I realized, wait, you don't have to be, you know, hunched over in a wheelchair and, and unable to care for yourself and all that as you age. So now I'm in my late 40s and I'm 10.2% body fat and my reaction time in my brain, remember I run a neuroscience company, I can measure this. I have the reaction time of a 20-year-old on average, awesome. right? And my arteries measure with their flexibility as a 24-year-old. And I'm never hungry. So my book, Fast This Way, is how do you practice intermittent fasting without feeling pain? Because no one yeah. wants to fast. That's horrible. It's like what, you have the art of slapping yourself in the face. No one's going to do that. <laughs> but what if fasting was cheaper, easier, and zero pain? Like, I didn't have to make breakfast. I saved time. Now we're talking. That's, yeah. what, that's what I'm writing about. So fastthisway.com. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is fascinating, isn't it, to, to kind of take what is socially acceptable and completely turn it on its head as you did. But what's fascinating for me is the fact that you were already hugely successful and you obviously were performing at a level that enabled you to be successful, uh, but yet your health was still really, really poor. So, you know, some might say you were a fantastic human being already, and, and now you must be kind of exponential in terms of... I was a jerk, just to be super clear. Right. Like, I wasn't a fantastic human being because I knew how to pick the right company to go to, and I'm not going to lie, I think I'm pretty smart, and yeah. I worked my ass off. I burned the candle at both ends and in the middle, right? Yeah. And I was really focused on my career, and I was willing to ignore my health. Well, I tried to do stuff, but I didn't do the research. Uh, and I was willing to not travel and I was willing to not take holiday the way you would in the UK. So yeah. I basically was, was way overworking and yeah. I wasn't doing any of the personal development work. And what I'm seeing today is people in their, their 20s are absolutely willing to be more reflective than I was. I didn't start any of this work till I was about 30. Yeah. And with Bulletproof, the whole point of the blog when I started this, I was a VP at a large company. I had stock options and I made a quarter million dollars a year and I lived on an island and my job was to fly to five-star hotels and talk to people about computers. Yeah. Okay. It's not a bad life. Oh, and I have two young kids. Right. So I started a blog <laughs> and 
I'm like, five people are going to read this blog. They're going to avoid spending the million dollars I spent on my own health to upgrade myself. First 300,000 to get back to normal and then 700,000 to wow. see what's possible. And that's what I write about. It's in all my books on my blog on Bulletproof yeah. Radio. So it was going to be a nonprofit, actually. Okay. I was going to put my blog on the anti-aging nonprofit. But after three months of arguing about the right URL, I'm like, guys, I'm going to do marketing and you guys do the nonprofit thing. Like we're all friends, but I'm just going to write. I have to get this out there because people need this. And more than five people cared about this. How do you, how do you biohack yourself? How do you upgrade your health? How do you hack your health? All of those kind of statements, those are original bulletproof things and right. they've taken off everywhere. We talk about health. It's all about being better mm. instead of not being sick. So it was that mindset that the world needed to change. I believe that I led that charge yeah. to, uh, to change how we think about it. So it's not about you know, being okay. It, no one actually wakes up going, today I want to be healthy. I mean, have you ever woken up like that? No, no. No. You wake up, today I'd like to win. I'd like yeah. to feel great. Like I'd like to have really good sex. I'd like yeah. to, you know, eat something yeah. that I love. I'd like to do something fun, right? Yeah. Or maybe I'd like to see my kids win, right? Whatever. You, health is like number 17 on your honey-do list, yeah. right? Okay. And, and that's the problem. So no, we actually want to do more than be healthy. And when you admit that to yourself, say, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a dad. Like I want to be an enlightened human being, right? Whatever that is, that's what matters. Mm. And uh, I just, I got sick of people writing these, these weaselly, um, here's five things you can do to be healthy. Eat bananas because they're packed with potassium. It's like, have you done math? They're not packed with potassium. They're packed with sugar and water, a little bit of fiber and trace amounts of potassium. They're actually not that good for you. They're not bad for you compared to French fries or whatever they're called over there. I forget. There's a special name for French fries. Chips. Chips. Thank you. Yeah. I, I was going to call them and cookies have a different name too. Uh, biscuits. biscuits. So I was confused my chips and biscuits and my lorries and loos, but I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, around that, the health side of things. Like you say, no one wakes up and says, you know, I'm going to maximize my health today or unless you're a biohacker, obviously. But, but I, think that, I think the biggest tipping point for me, and I don't know if you can relate to this, is that when you realize what feeling good is like, you just want to explore that more and you want to find out what else can you do because it's almost like in society in order to have one thing you have to give another thing up so in order to be successful you've got to give up family life or you've got to give up being healthy in order to kind of destroy yourself being successful but actually you don't if you can perform at your best then you are able to do way more uh, and have way more well it's there's a this weird thing about doing way more, which is, a, it's a very kind of a manly perspective on it, which certainly I share, like, like how many companies am I CEO of? I don't even want to say, Yeah. right? And well, doing more is a different thing than making it easy to do what you want to do. Right. So there's this huge amount of resistance that comes in us. And the resistance comes mostly because the energy that we make in our body, all life, air plus food equals electrons, the same electrons that are on your phone, Yeah. right? So what does that do? That, that means if you are not good at turning air and food into electrons, you'll have less energy. And when you have less energy, you'll do less and the stuff you do feels hard to do. True. So I found that by fixing my metabolism, magically I had more energy to do stuff. And when you have more energy, it feels easier. And so that was step one was fix my metabolism and that's bulletproof diet land. The second thing though, that a lot of people don't understand is what percentage of your thoughts are wasting electrons. Cause remember those electrons can fold a protein to make new skin. They can make digestive enzymes and they can make you yell at your kids <laughs> and they can make you breathe. They have to go somewhere and your body incredibly elegantly allocates every electron. But most people spend 15 to 30% of their thoughts per day thinking about what's for lunch or what's yeah. for dinner. Okay. Now I started Bulletproof saying, I'm going to disrupt big food. We're going to fix food so that it tastes good 
and it makes you feel good after you eat it. Yeah. And one of the side effects of that, if you can actually trigger the hunger hormone to turn it off and turn on the fullness hormone, is that there's just no thoughts about food. So that 15 yeah. to 30% of thoughts goes into, how am I going to parent? How am I going to handle this problem? What do I want to do next? So everything gets easier when you change your thinking. So First, it's eat stuff so you'll never be triggered to be hungry again. And yeah. that's why fast this way. That's the whole structure of that book is how do you make it so it's not painful? Yeah. Then the next thing is, what about fear, right? Because we all have fear. We're yeah. wired to, to not do things that might kill us. And if you don't believe me, you know, lean too close to a cliff or stumble on something and an automated system will take over and you'll yeah. pull your hand away from something hot before you know it's hot. That system is in, it's running all the time. And if you pulled away from that stove, it'll pull away from a difficult conversation that it perceives as hot, whether you even know you're doing it or not. And it's not going to tell you because it's automated. So another huge chunk of stuff is taken up by fear. So the personal development process, for me, it's been neurofeedback. There's been some plant medicines, deep breathing exercises. When you do those things, you find that the things in your head that think you're going to die, they calm down. So when you learn how to breathe and you breathe out and you hold your breath, lungs empty for 10 seconds, the first few times you do that, you're going to have alarm bells going off like crazy. They're false alarms. You can go three minutes without breathing, right? And when you fast for 24 hours, there's a voice in your head going, you're going to starve to death. And that's BS. You take you two months to starve to death. Where's that coming from? It's coming from bad fear programming. So I've made a practice and I teach people who come to my website, daveasprey.com. People listen to my podcast. Hey, here's how you handle the biological side of that. And here's how you handle the psychological and the spiritual and emotional side of that. And if you fix the biology, you have enough energy to do the emotional work. But if your energy is broken, you don't have enough energy to do emotional work. It's too much work. And that was my problem when I was young and fat. I tried to do something, you know, personal development oriented. I was too tired and too angry because I didn't have the electrons to tell myself to shut up. (laughs) That's the conundrum. Fix the biology, fix the psychology, fix the spiritual side. And if you do it, sort of in that order, you have more energy than you ever thought you you could have. I don't know how I can be, you know, my late forties and have what I have energetically. Cause man, I can remember things better. And I'm, I'm, I have less pain. Like everything's better than when I was 25 and that's possible for all of us. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I can, I can definitely relate to that. And, and yeah, I mean, you make a good point around things becoming easier because you are more optimal you are healthier you're eating properly you know like you say your mind's clearer you're doing breath work all and they're all really basic things aren't they when you break it down but they go up to build quite a solid picture in terms of your overall kind of health and wellness um and and it's it for me it's really fascinating how we've not picked up on this you know previously it's only now that all of this stuff is really starting to come to the forefront and and people are starting to pay way more attention i mean if you talk to somebody 10 years ago about meditation they would think that you are crazy right but how i mean yeah. how many apps and things are out there are there now around meditation and actually being mindful and and you know concentrating on your thoughts there's billion dollar companies that help people yeah. meditate and even my the 40 years of zen company People fly there and they spend five days, 10 hours a day. They've got electrodes on their head and they're doing stuff that would normally take decades of daily meditation and they're replacing it with technology. And so for me, it's about what's the return on investment so you can meditate faster. (laughs) Because, I mean, let's face it, if you're going to spend two hours a day meditating, that's two hours a day. You didn't play with your kids. You didn't go for a walk in the park. You didn't spend time with your spouse and you didn't take care of your family financially. Right. So why were you meditating? Only if the return on that two hours is greater than it. But if you could get the same returns in a half hour, you would do it. Yeah. Right. At least I would. And so yeah. I'm that way with exercise. I'm that way with food and that way with everything that I do uh, because I'm lazy. Right. I want more spare time to do what I want. And, and it's yeah. okay to just say, you know what? I wanted to exercise less. I wanted to think about food less. I wanted to meditate less, but I did the amount that was necessary for me to feel the way I wanted to feel. And yeah. to me, that's how to live. 100%. Yeah, completely agree with that. So with, with the Bulletproof Diet that you developed, you know, it's, when I talk to people about it, it's so radically different to what we've been indoctrinated into in the Western world and that, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's, and, and if you talk to a, a basic doctor, I say basic, but a normal doctor or a nutritionist, 
you know, we, we've been brought up on this low fat, this lie that was, was, was developed by Ansel Keys and, and they knew it was bad in, you know, when it, when the data came out, didn't they? But we've had this, this lie go around for so many years. So, you know, in terms of the bulletproof diet, can you explain the kind of basic process sure. for people that haven't heard of it? So I was a vegan. I was a raw vegan. I was on the zone diet. I was on the Atkins diet. I've been paleo. Uh, I, I've tried many, many other dietary experiments and I could always lose half the weight I had to lose. And the other half would stick around. So it took me three months to lose 50 pounds, which is what, two and a half stone or something. Yeah. And it took me 10 years to lose the other half of that because it turns out inflammation is one of the things that makes you fat and you can lose some fat. So you'll see people at low carb conferences uh, walking around weighing three or 400 pounds and you're going, it doesn't look like it works. They go, oh no, I used to weigh 600 pounds. This works great. The problem is I stopped two years ago. I can't lose any more weight, but, but it's because I'm eating one gram of sugar. And like, no, it's because there's something else happening here. So for me, getting to the point where I felt really good all the time was the goal. And if I was 9% or 15% body fat, I don't really care. I want to feel good and I want my blood levels to show that I'm going to live a long time. So what I came up with was a bulletproof diet, which many people use to heal from plant-based diets. The big issue is number one, bad oils. And you know, the stereotypical thing that you think of traditional British food, I don't know any other country that deep fries salad, but you guys do that. Yeah. Okay. But now London is a hub of international food, but it's all cooked with soybean oil, canola oil, corn oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, the seed oils, because they're cheap. Guess what? They are not compatible with your human biology. You need a very small amount of omega-6 fat. What is compatible? Well, let's see. What's the one type of fat your body can make from scratch? It's a saturated fat called palmitic acid. So when we eat things that are in good old-fashioned Kerrygold butter, which yeah. is my favorite butter, by the way, um, the okay. cultured butter, the, the silver label, unsalted is the best yeah. one. And there are some other really good premium brands um, that are there as well. But what you're going to find is that that butter is compatible with us. Egg yolks are good for you. Not if they're super crispy and, and really hard boiled, but a soft boiled egg is amazing if you're not allergic to it. And coconut oil and a few like uh, avocados and macadamia nuts and things like that. But people have gone crazy because they're either eating no fats, your cell membranes are all made out of fat. Your brain is made out of fat. Yeah. Your body carefully holds the amount of fat in the brain constant. So we've broken our molecular machinery by eating oils that have never existed in human, uh, human society. Yeah. So what that means is we go back to what works, which is butter, which is grass-fed animals, not industrially raised animals. And Kerrygold is grass-fed, at least 90% of the time. In midwinter, it might not be all grass-fed. And... Uh, when you do that, something magic happens, but it takes, at first you're just, I feel so much better. My brain turned on, but after two years, you've replaced half the fat in your body with properly made membranes. It takes two years to replace half fat in your body. And when you do that, all of a sudden you actually have less cravings for fat, but you still eat some of it. And the fastest and best way that I know to tell people how to feel what they're capable of feeling is bulletproof coffee. We've done more than 200 million cups of Bulletproof Coffee. It's not going to change my life if someone starts it or doesn't start it. I'm just telling you this because it changed my life and I believe it will work for you. Yeah. So you take brewed coffee. My beans are lab tested. They're different because they don't have toxins in them. But let's say that you didn't even use my beans. Okay. Then you take grass-fed butter. Yes, it matters. Margarine doesn't work and butter from cows that ate corn and soy don't, doesn't work because it has the wrong fat. It's the type of fat that's, that's core at the Bulletproof Diet. Then... You blend it along with an oil called brain octane oil, which is one of the many types of MCT oil that are available. Um, Bulletproof made collagen protein and MCT oil um, popular. They didn't, they weren't categories before. Now they're a big deal. So you put that MCT oil in there, you blend it. It tastes like a latte and magically you drink it. You're, oh, this tasted good. But then within 15 minutes, something happens. Your liver starts to use the MCT oil to make ketones as if you've been fasting for two or three days. And those ketones, when they rise, well, the hunger hormone, which is called ghrelin, it drops. Yeah. And when the fullness hormone called CCK goes up, all of a sudden you feel full. So you had your bulletproof coffee for breakfast and you don't care about food. 
until lunch. And at lunch, you go, I guess I could eat. And it's the first time in your adult life that you didn't really, really want to go eat whatever you eat in mid-morning, a croissant, a muffin, some sort of donut. I don't know. What, what's the most common mid-morning snack in the UK? I don't, I don't mid-morning snacks. Even when I'm there, I never ate it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a muffin or, or granola bar or something like that with a big yeah. mug of milky coffee, yeah. There you go. So I, you do this. If you need more, you can have another coffee. But people do that and they're saying, wait a minute, I feel better. I didn't have to make breakfast. And then I, I'm losing weight. In fact, at the end of the month, I lost a stone. This isn't even possible. And that's what happened with, with Tom Watson. <laughs> and yeah. it was in the, the press. Like, you know, he's losing all this weight. What's going on? And he said, well, try the Bulletproof diet. So on the Bulletproof diet, you eat only good fats. You don't eat the bad fats. Yeah. <clears throat> you also lower your sugar, and you don't eat grains. Grains are cheap, but they're inflammatory. You can eat some white rice, but unfortunately, if you're going to eat a lot of bread, you will be fat. And there are a few people you know who just eat bread all the time who aren't fat, except if you run their labs or you look at them, their fat is packed around their organs and they're actually really in danger. It's called visceral fat. My visceral fat is around what an 18-year-old's visceral fat looks like. It's at the very low end. And like I said, I'm not hungry. I don't diet, right? I skip breakfast a lot. I practice intermittent fasting like in my new book, Fast This Way, but I I'm, I'm, don't suffer as a result of it. Yeah. So today, um, for my time, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. And for breakfast, I had bulletproof coffee, right? And I didn't care about food anymore. And then at 2.30, I had uh, some roast beef, grass-fed roast beef and some olives. And I am completely full. It took me all of five minutes to eat. It was right before we recorded this. Yeah. So did I save time because I didn't think about food the whole time? Did I almost not eat that lunch because I just didn't really feel like it? Yeah, I almost skipped it. And I said, ah, I'm going to do a photo shoot later. I guess I should eat something. Otherwise, I'll, I'll go till dinner. But yeah. this is what happens when you're free from food. And that's what the Bulletproof Diet does. So it cuts out inflammatory stuff that keeps you feeling hungry all the time and makes you feel fat. And I'll tell you, go to daveasprey.com. D-A-V-E-A-S-P-R-E-Y, just like Asprey's of London, um, daveasprey.com, and then search for the Bulletproof Diet Roadmap. And you can download it for free, and it tells you on one page, here's what to eat, here's what not to eat. And yeah. you'll find some pretty profound differences. Yeah, and I think for me, I think it's, it's been close to two years now since I've been doing Bulletproof Coffee in the morning. And for me, the biggest change that I noticed was my cognitive alertness. Yeah. Right. So, so yes, you might get a kick from coffee, but what Bulletproof gives you is that constant alertness and awareness throughout the morning where I would argue the majority of people, if they follow the traditional Western diet where they've had their nice testosterone killing Kellogg's cornflakes and their coffee in the morning, come 10 o'clock, they had this massive dip and then they pick in, you know, so they're constantly peaking and troughing and their cognitive ability is just, you know, that they take that, I would assume, as, as you know, how, how you are. But I can assure you, when you try this, it's definitely not. It, it's one of those things where, uh, if you imagine you're Superman, yeah. and someone told you that if you just put this green stuff in your smoothie, um, that it's good for you. And yeah. I'm not talking about kale, although kale is bad for you. Raw kale especially is truly harmful. I've been ringing that bell for nine years, and the, the word's finally getting out. Plus, it tastes bad. But anyway... It's not kale. He's actually putting a little bit of this kryptonite superfood in, in his smoothie. And he goes, yeah, okay, this, I'm getting a little old. This is just how I feel, right? And he can still fly, just maybe not as fast and his laser is a little bit dull, but whatever. You just get used to it and it becomes the new normal. And then one day he skips his smoothie and goes, man, I feel really good. I wonder what I just did. And he doesn't know. Well, I am telling you right now that you're feeling bad because you have packed your system with bad oils and it's going to take you two years to clean those out. Yeah. And that what you're doing every day in the morning, eating a bunch of grains and sugar for breakfast is ruining your metabolism and making you feel like crap. It makes you treat your family poorly. It makes you overweight. It makes you fall asleep on the road and it makes you slow and drugged. And it did it to me. And you're saying, but I'm so successful. I made $6 million when I was 26, like I said earlier, but I felt like crap the whole time. And that's the difference. And when you do this one day, just like you're feeling, oh, I can feel like this. Yeah. And you'll do almost anything to feel that way. So this is a gateway drug to every other bulletproof practice that I've popularized. Cold showers, yeah. yeah. You'll hate me if you take a cold shower for three days. 
Because yeah. it takes three days to change the amount of cardiolipin in your mitochondrial membrane, according to studies. And after three days, the cold shower doesn't hurt anymore. But all day long, you're like, yeah, I, I feel good. I've got this. That's what I want people to understand. And, and at this point, look, I've had three and soon four New York Times bestsellers. My podcast has 200 million downloads. I have companies with hundreds of millions of dollars in sales they've done. I don't have to do any of this. Like, I, I, yeah. I can be done. Yeah. Right? I do this because it's the most precious thing that I've ever found in my life. And if someone had told me when I was 20 years old, hey, Dave, stop eating all that carby stuff, yeah. that low fat chicken salad with no chicken and no dressing, that's not what's going to sustain you. It would have saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars in healthcare bills. And yeah. it would have made me so much nicer to people around me. So if we can build a world full of people who are nice, the first step to being nice to other people is not being hungry. I think we yeah. can do it. 100%. And I think, you know, when we consider our, our families and our relationships, right, you know, there's this, this constant thing where we want to we have lots of energy. We want to be nice around our friends. We want to be nice around our family, have good relationships. Whereas people aren't joining up the dots between their diets and how they're feeling and how they're performing. And it is, you know, it is intrinsically linked. And it's getting that message out there and making people understand that, you don't have to follow this kind of platform or whatever we've been kind of fed into, if you like. And by changing some really basic stuff, when you break it down, you can, it can have such a fundamental impact. But one of the things that I, I really want to touch on around Bulletproof, and, and it's around, you know, we, we think when we specifically men in their 40s, right, you, you're talking about heart disease, heart attacks, high cholesterol, all the rest of it. Now, it's interesting. I just had my bloods come back last week. And funnily enough, I have high cholesterol. Why is that? Because I eat a lot of saturated fats. But I have low inflammation. Well, I had pretty much zero inflammation. And my resting blood sugar is, is, is perfect. So I don't have an issue with that. But modern society have a huge issue with the whole cholesterol thing. So what, what's yeah. your thoughts and comments on that? The history of cholesterol is really funny because back in the day when we didn't have the ability to look at our blood chemistry, we could take blood. Uh, in fact, I have some antique uh, test tubes back there somewhere um, because I collect weird old stuff that used to everything your iPhone does now. And they could spin it and they could say, look, there's a layer of yellow. Let's, because we can see the yellow, we can measure how thick it is. That must mean something. Let's build a whole hypothesis, a whole set of myths around this yellow layer. And that was cholesterol. Right. Now, the fact is, there's many different kinds of cholesterol. And if cholesterol is doing harm, it will always, every single time, be reflected in a number called LPPLA2. This is an enzyme that's released by damage to the lining of your arteries. So if you go to your doctor and your doctor says, oh, cholesterol, cholesterol. Well, then you say, oh, maybe it is harmful. Let's not be religious and dogmatic yeah. about this. If it's harmful, prove it. Give me my LPPLA2 score. Show me my homocysteine score and show me my C-reactive protein score. Now, when people go on the Bulletproof diet, what usually happens is their HDL, the protective cholesterol, goes really high, higher than they've ever seen, which is like, wow, that's amazing. How do you do that? And your LDL, which isn't bad cholesterol, it can be good, it can be bad. In other words, it's neutral, but it can go up or it can go down. It depends on the person. And your triglycerides, which are a risk number, it drops precipitously. So I dropped a dangerous one, I raised a protective one, and the other one did something yeah. But what always happens is your inflammation markers goes, go down for most people. And if they don't go down, if your homocysteine doesn't go down, it's genetic. And you have a problem with inflammation because you don't handle your B vitamins well. And there's a hack for that. It's called MTHFR. And if your C-reactive protein is high, you have an infection somewhere in your body or you did your blood labs right after working out hard and you need to look at that or you're not sleeping well. It could be it. So you hack those two. And then at the end of the day, if your LPPLA is low and your cholesterol is high, guess what that means? Your odds of dying from all-cause mortality just went down because people with high cholesterol are the ones who live a very long time yeah. as long as they're not inflamed. So when a doctor says, oh, cholesterol, it's bad for you, you know, if you want to get an argument, you say prove it or you could just get another doctor because there are now 
at least 100,000 doctors globally who have studied functional medicine, who have studied anti-aging medicine, and they know very well, oh, I'm not worried about this number at all. And And they know that if they put you on drugs that lower cholesterol, what happens, or even food that lowers cholesterol, it breaks your ability to take air and food and make electrons, which causes systemic problems like joint pain, muscle aches, even dementia, and probably an increased risk of cancer. So anti-cholesterol drugs are stupid because cholesterol is not the problem. Oxidized cholesterol, called OXLDL, that you can measure, that comes from eating burned and fried stuff, that is a risk factor. Normal cholesterol, not a risk factor. And anyone who says it is cannot prove it with any direct cause. All they do is say, this guy in the 70s asked people what they ate, and then we think their cholesterol was high, and therefore we think it's bad. It's baloney science. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's in, it, but it's it's trying to explain that to people. I mean, I'm not as well versed as you are in in all the various different areas of it. But it's it's interesting because when you talk to people about bulletproof diet and what you're doing, their their instant reaction is like, "Wow, what are you, this guy's crazy," you know? But um, yeah, I mean, you, you only it, have to try it to feel the benefits of it. So you know, it's it, it's funny. Um, was it the Telegraph uh, said that the bulletproof diet is everything wrong with America today? What was the direct <laughs> quote? I, I love the press in the UK because they're such jerks, right? And like yeah. in the in America, they pretend like, oh, we're all in, in, in the US, or in the UK, like, no, 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 we're just gonna just punch everyone. So yeah, I respect yeah. that very much. Yeah, and yeah. what happens is you look at the doctor or the nutritionist or whoever it is that goes, ah, cholesterol, and you look at how many chins they have and you look at their waistband and if a doctor who is lean and strong and full of energy and they look like they've got this you might want to listen to what they have to say and when the doughy unhealthy person who can barely fit in their car is telling you to eat less fat then you look at them and say how's it working for you and you know what they say and i've asked them that politely you know what they say oh well my advice works i just don't follow it like yes no one can eat a low-fat diet for long periods of time. So what they do is they eat bad fats and then they feel guilty about it like I used to when I was fat. So stop giving advice that people can't and won't follow and you want to meet the most miserable, hateful, angry person on earth? It's a person who lives on only kale. They hate their life. They hate everyone around them and they want to eat their cat. But that's just how it is. It's okay. Like have some butter already. You'll be nicer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean the whole, yeah, the whole kind of plant-based thing is, yeah, we could go right off on a tangent with that one. You know, it's 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 not that it's modern farming methods, which is the main issue. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. And, and I, I do live on an organic farm. We raise our own sheep. We raise our own pigs. You got to eat grass fed or don't eat the animals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in terms of the in society, like we just said, around you know diet and and um, heart disease, there there's also you know, the, the common acceptance, I guess, is that as you hit this magic number of 40 years old, it's almost like it's acceptable. You've hit that number now, it's all downhill, right? You, you're getting older, your health starts to deteriorate. But actually, you know, as, as you've already said, you know, your biology is, is, is around about, you know, did you say 28 or 20 years old? Something It depends like which measure you want to do. My yeah. blood is 24, my brain is 20, uh, or my blood, my blood vessels are. Uh, and, you know, there's always room for improvement. You know, yeah. I want younger hair, but I'm doing all right. And, you know, I, I don't, there's a lot I don't like about where I am right now, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. But the reason is I don't look at myself as being in my late 40s on some sort of a thing. I recently celebrated my 27th percent birthday because I, have, I truly believe, based on math and science, I wrote a book that hit the monthly New York Times science bestseller list, like the, the big one. Yeah. Well, that book was called Headstrong and my other book, Superhuman, about aging. I talk about why is 180 years reasonable for us. So from that perspective, I'm just getting going. Yeah. Right? I have a lot more time to become wise, which comes with age. Right now, we have an epidemic of a lack of village elders. There was always some old people with lots of energy who would watch the grandkids and impart their knowledge. And they would tell the 40-year-olds, hey, son, you're making a big mistake there. You know, I did that when I was 30 and again when I was 50, and I'm just telling you that's going to hurt. And yeah. some of the people who are 40 are going to listen. And imagine what the world would be like if we had people who were 180 right now, and they're saying, you know what? I saw both world wars, 
and some other ones in the late 1800s. And let me tell you what happened. And the current direction we're going right now in the U.S. looks an awful lot like something I saw in 1930s. And they're going to tell you the patterns because they were around enough to see them. We need a lot more people who are older, who are wiser and full of energy and willing to stand up and help because they want to help. But right now they can't even take care of themselves because we fed them garbage for 40 years. And we just have to fix this because this is how we're going to fix the environment that we live in is through living a long time and being wise. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, um, you know, this, it it is, it, it kind of sounds a bit flies in the face of adversity that we can actually biologically get younger as we get older, but you only have to put some basic, uh, some of the stuff that we've already talked about into practice to actually feel the benefits of that and to realize that that is actually the case. But what's what do you actually think though is going to be the catalyst for people regularly living over a hundred years old? One of the things that's going to be the catalyst is the pandemic, right? When the pandemic first came out, uh, I predicted a 65 times reduction in death rate. Right. Because all of the other pandemics that have happened about every four years regularly, they always announce a big number. And two years later, no one's listening. They, oh, the actual number was only like 0.00 whatever. And right now it looks like that prediction was dead on. But the amount of awareness on the fact, wait a minute, people with diabetes of any age just can die more easily of other diseases? Really? But yes, it's been that way for all of human history. When you have what's called comorbidities, morbidity, that's death, right? Well, that's something that doctors talk about. I'm married to a doctor who ran an ER in Stockholm. And so I look at all this and I go, wait a minute, maybe all of us are going to realize that some people are doing some things so they don't have comorbidities. And by reducing those things, the first step to living to 180 is not dying. So let's get rid of what I call the four killers in my book. It's cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. And diabetes is a precursor to all of those. And diabetes is what happens when you suck at turning air and food into electrons. So we're going to fix our metabolisms because people now, look, if you're going to smear hand sanitizer on your hands, newsflash, it's not surface transmissible. Okay, you're just doing that to make yourself feel better. But if you're willing to do that, maybe you're willing to take your vitamin C and your vitamin D, which actually work, or some of the herbs, right? So this is something where people suddenly became aware of their mortality and is a great trigger for people to say, what else can I do? At the same time, we have, not just me, I've run an anti-aging nonprofit group for 20 years. And I know the top people in the field around the world. And many of them I've interviewed on my show. That for the first time in my life, they're willing to stand up like David Sinclair from Harvard, who's a friend. And he'll say, we can now reverse the biological age of a cell. Okay. When a Harvard professor with tenure is willing to say something that is that insane throughout all of history, you know that he actually believes it and he knows it and he's proven it over and over because otherwise he's putting his career at risk. There was no risk for him to say that because he has the data and it is real. And he is one of hundreds of doctors who have spent the last three decades cracking this problem. We didn't have gene sequencing. We didn't have the internet to let us collaborate like this. So we're at this time where most of the people privately will tell me, Dave, we're within a few years, maybe five years where the advances that we are making will add more years to your life than the speed at which you age. In other words, if you can live another five years in reasonably good health, the stuff that's coming down the pipeline, things like stem cells that I write about that I've done, things like gene therapies, all these other, just just a long laundry list of things. As they come down, you're going to find, wait a minute, I actually can get younger. I can at least hold the line. And at that point, that being 100, you will be 100. And you'll be going, wow, remember when people were old and they were 100? Now, you could say that's crazy, except get this. Did you know already just in the last 25 years, the definition of elder has shifted by 10 years? I didn't realize that, no. It used to be that when you hit 65, you were considered an elder. Right. And this is both in the UK and the US. Right. And what happened is people who were 65 were saying, uh, I'm not done. I am still feeling good. I'm working. I don't want to retire and stop treating me like I'm an invalid. I'm not. So scientists measured it. They used a device that looks like this. It's called a dynamometer. It measures the strength of your grip. And it turns out that grip strength is one of the biggest and cheapest predictors of how old you are and how likely you are to die. And 
they found that suddenly around the world, people who are 65 have the grip strength of people who are 55 yeah. from the previous generation. So now the definition of elder is legally shifted up by 10 years. So now you need to be 75 to be elder. This happened in our lifetime, okay. right? It's going to continue. It's already happening. We just don't see it because we're so programmed to look at the last 50 years where it's been really slow, but it's exponential and it's coming up and up and up. So I'm looking forward to hanging out with my wife and my kids and my great grandkids when I'm hundred and it's going to happen unless a car hits me, in which case uh, yeah. all bets are off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, f- the, where we're talking about right now in terms of the, you know, the, the advances in, in, maintaining monitoring your health it's a very stark difference between the majority of society isn't it whereas if we look at what's going on in modern society with you know the bad foods the processed foods the takeaways and all that kind of stuff so how long do you would you envisage that's actually going to take before that starts to have that shift is it is it because of now the pandemic you think how long did it take for people in africa to have one of these I don't know, maybe five, 10 years. I don't know. It took a little bit more time than that. It turns out in the late eighties, the first cell phone networks were deployed right. and the only people who drove them had a Mercedes. The whole trunk of the Mercedes, what they called the boot was, uh, was filled yeah. up with the electronics and these giant antennas and they hold them up on their head That's and it, these yeah. bankers are driving. Yeah. And everyone's like, look at that jerk talking on his phone. Who does he think he is? And it's 25 pounds a minute to use it. And they don't care because they're billionaires. Yeah. Okay, it's a dollar a month for cell phone service in remote Africa. Okay, and how many years did that take? It took about 40, right? But everything is faster because we have the internet now, right? And researchers can collaborate and we can share knowledge and we have better computing and all. So Moore's law is applying to things like this. So if it took 40 years for cell phones to penetrate to the very furthest corners of the earth, how long is it going to take for people to actually get access to stuff that works? Well, it's always going to be the wealthy, adventurous types who get the first of everything. Yeah. And it makes its way through society. That's how it's been since the creation of iron and the creation of yeah. fire, probably. So I'm predicting it's really about 20 years. And there will always be parts of the world where it's less accessible. Yeah. Right? But the good news is that most of Europe has socialized healthcare, where in the US, it's actually profitable to make people sick. <laughs> Where you live, it's profitable to keep people well. And the government uh, throughout Europe, or the different governments, actually negotiate to lower the price of drugs. In the US, it's illegal for the government to negotiate to lower drug prices. Isn't that amazing? Like, I wonder who set that one up. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so it's less corrupt over there. So what that means is the government's going to say, I can give everyone a shot of these stem cells, or I can spend 100,000 pounds on getting them new hips. Hmm. Guess what's going to happen? as a way to lower healthcare costs, everyone is going to get access to anti-aging therapies because it's better. No government wants an aging society that is disabled and in the hospital all the time, right? Because guess what? You guys are having less kids than you used to and your population of young people is falling. Same in the US, same in Japan. So our only only thing we can do is make ourselves younger. We are going to do it. It's inevitable. We have to do it. We have the technology. We have the economic incentive. It's going to happen. It's not going to take 40 years. Yeah, we do. I agree with all of that. But what I will say is, is it's, for me, it's the shift in people's mindset. Because although you say in the UK, you know, we have this health system whereby, you know, it's not for profit. It's definitely, definitely funded by pharmaceuticals. There's definitely. What is in Canada too, where I live? It's still better though. There's someone there who actually it's their job to lower costs. In the U.S., there's no one in the government whose job it is to do that. True. So for for me, it's about this this shift as an individual to um, you know, and I always use this analogy all the time. I would say that people take more care of their cars maintenance-wise than they do of their health. So we're in this society whereby it's about fixing not about preventing and not about monitoring and i believe there needs to be a massive shift in that mindset so it's all very well we're talking about you know the technology and the ability and the collaboration that's all there right it's it's the other side of it the social element of it people's mindsets and understandings that kind of shift that i think needs to happen so do you honestly think that that can happen in 40 years Oh, very easily. It's already happened. Talk to anyone who's 25. How old are you? 47. There you go. Talk to someone 20 years younger than you. 
I am blown away at the number of people in their 20s who are asking questions about personal development and about health. Way, the percentage is way higher. The reason is exactly what we're doing right now. Okay, podcasts and all help. But more interestingly, we're on opposite sides of the ocean. When you were 11, how many dollars a minute would a phone call between us have costed? Yeah. About a, for me, it would have been a dollar or two. I don't know what it would have been in pounds, yeah. but I mean, if you were doing a long distance call, you had to like, Hey mom, can I, can I talk to someone? You have five minutes and it was very expensive. Okay. We're doing video full frame HD video with stereo yeah. for free. Yeah. Okay. That's how cool the world is right now. And when people are, who are younger, they grew up with this. So yeah. you, you can easily say, Oh, there's that one weird guy who goes to the pub who just lost five stone but I think he's weird and maybe he has a tumor, so I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah. But when you look online and you see tens of thousands of people all over the world saying, I drank my Bulletproof coffee, saying I skipped breakfast. Everyone told me I would die, but I didn't die and I feel better and I lost weight and I had to buy new pants. Yeah. Wait, actually, new trousers. And see, I'm, getting, I'm starting yeah. to be multilingual yeah, yeah, yeah. here. And um, at least I didn't say knickers, so I'm getting there. <laughs> anyway, what, uh, what ends up happening is we learn and we evolve faster as a species and that's what's happening right now. So I have great hope because you cannot see tons of people like me who stood up and said, yes, I lost a hundred pounds. I used to be fat. I still have stretch marks. I've been in men's health magazine with my shirt off. Right. And as a fat computer hacker, that's the least likely thing ever to happen. So if I could do it with my incredibly bad health background, it's probably going to be easier for most people than it was for me. And you can look at, thousands and thousands of other people, people like you, and you're sharing the information and young people are saying, okay, I'm screwed. There's all these old people and they have all the money and all the houses and we can't afford a house and they've inflated the crap out of all all of our currencies. And now we have low wage jobs working for internet giants and no hope and we think it sucks, but at least we can be healthy. Yeah, true. (laughs) And they're paying attention to it. And so what I'm actually incredibly hopeful. Um, that there's a sea shift and it's not going to take a generation to die because you and I and so many others are sharing it and uh, it's, it's going to happen quickly. Yeah. I think that that's a very good point it, that, um, that I'd not consider that. I think you're absolutely right. You know, the, the Gen Z's as they're called. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they are way more switched <laughs> on to, you know, healthcare, one, 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 just wellness, right? You know, they're even going on holiday to wellness retreats and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, they, and, that, and they've been brought up with the technology and the speed in which things move. Uh, and so they, they want things to, to move as quickly as, as they're used to, don't they? So yeah, I think the, the adoption for them, it's just natural. It's us oldies that, or older people that, uh, that, that take a little bit of a while to, to, to be convinced and to, to actually make that shift. Even then, you're on Facebook. Your mom, if she's still around, is probably on Facebook, right? Yeah, true. Okay. Facebook isn't even where young people hang out anymore, but do you remember when you first got a Facebook account how amazing it was? Yeah. Okay. Our generation also has access to amazing knowledge. The books that I write have at least 500 and usually 1,000 plus references in them. Yeah. If I had to write these in my 20s, I would be at a card catalog with microfiche torturing myself for five to 10 years to write a book. And by the time I did it, the research would actually be outdated, but I wouldn't find out for another 10 years before it reached there. So yeah. now I have this amazing ability to pull together sometimes things that are published three months before I submit my manuscript, I can put them in there. And so the speed of human progress has been accelerated. And if you grew up like that, it's so different because what you're seeing is an exponential increase where people our age and the generation that's older than us are mostly interconnected. So even then your parents can see, wait, my friends who live on the other side of the country or the world who I've known for a long time, they just started doing something and all of a sudden, wait, you mean you guys have an active bedroom life, but we don't have that. And yeah, adults talk about that stuff, right? And like, we don't have, what did you do? And, and it wasn't a drug. It was something else, right? Or, hey, you look really healthy, Betsy. How did you do that? And these conversations can happen because we're looking at each other right now. And you couldn't look at each other 10 years ago. Like, it's happening so fast, but we don't see it. No. no. We, we, yeah, we, we take it for granted, don't we? So, uh, yeah, that's no, um, a good point. So, Dave, um, before we kind of finish today, 
what what would you say are the five key things that people could take away from this to really start to make that shift and optimize where they're at from a health perspective? Well, I would suggest start with your sleep. The reason is you're going to do it anyway. You might as well do a better job of it. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend a sleep monitoring device. I have a ring called an Aura Ring. There's many other ways to do it. And if not, there's apps that are free or very affordable on your phone that'll look at how much you basically roll around and snore. Yeah. And they'll tell you how to do it. Just did you do better tonight than last night? Did eating late? Did going to bed? And I have a ton written about um, sleep hacking on DaveAsprey.com uh, that'll teach you how to do that if you want. There's even a sleep challenge. Yeah. You also... And you can join the sleep challenge if you'd like. It's also on the, the webpage there. Uh, I'd also invite people to go to the virtual conference that's coming up here. Uh, if you go to biohackingconference.com, I've got a whole day of, of incredible content on how to do exactly what we're talking about. Um, that's biohackingconference.com. So the other things that you can do, so sleep is number one. Number two is skip breakfast. And you can do it with nothing. You can do it with black coffee. You do not put sugar or milk in that coffee. And if you want to put butter and MCT oil and make it bulletproof, you can, and you're still fasting if you do that. And there's a whole bunch of science behind that that's in the new book. The new book is fastthisway, fastthisway.com. You can pre-order it now. So intermittent fasting, getting better sleep would be two of the things. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to realize that you hate to exercise because only 8% of people actually exercise the way the government tells them to because the government recommendations are dumb. What you actually have to do based on science is you have to move for 20 minutes a day. You can do that. Yeah. Moving doesn't mean breathing hard and carrying pink weights. It just means going for a walk. Yeah, That's it. Okay. Walk for 20 minutes. You can talk to a friend on the phone. You can wear VR goggles on a treadmill. I don't care. Right? You can jump up down on a trampoline. 20 minutes. Not sweaty. Not difficult. Do it while conversing. Okay. Yeah. Next. Once a week, you have to do something really, really hard for 10 minutes. You right. can do it. And that could be sprinting as fast as you can. I don't care if you're 70, sprint as fast as you can. It might be really slow. Or lift really heavy things until you can't. Work with the trainer if you can, right? Either of those things. And if you don't have that, you can do squats and push-ups for 10 minutes. And you want to do it for a minute or until you fail, then you lay down on the ground and pant for a minute and do it again. That's it. Once yeah. a week, 10 minutes of pain, that is it. Okay, and if, if that doesn't work, call a friend on Skype or whatever service you like and aim the camera at you and you do it, then they do it. So get a, get a buddy, okay? But that's all you have to do based on science. By the way, I'm looking okay. Like I'm not, the New York Times says I'm almost muscular. That's what you want to be. You don't need to have ripped abs and all that stuff unless you want to be an Instagram celebrity. Yeah. Uh, at which point, airbrush them on or something. I have no idea what those guys do, <laughs> yes. but I do have abs. They just grew naturally um, on top of my stretch marks. So that's three things. Right. Um, the other thing that I'm going to recommend you do that no one talks about is breathing has been a huge part of biohacking since the beginning uh, yeah. when I, I put the term together and I created the community for it. But there's so many different types of breathing exercises. Uh, and a lot of people don't exercise every day. You might not meditate every day. A lot of people don't. It's okay. And a lot of people certainly don't do breathing exercises every day. I did breathing exercises every day for five years. It was really useful for me. I don't do it every day. But what I do instead, if you breathe through your nose instead of your mouth, when you wear a mask, especially, but the rest of the day, you actually, if you do it when you're young, you get straighter teeth, you get less cavities, but you get more oxygen in the brain when you yeah. breathe through the nose. So you could say during the day, I'm going to work to breathe through the nose. It's a habit change. But when you go to sleep at night, you can actually get tape, soft adhesive tape that's designed to close your mouth. Yeah. Yes. When I started taping my mouth at night, it improved my marriage. Wow. <laughs> that has nothing to do with oxygen in the brain. That's just because you talk <laughs> less at night. But what it really does do is it stops snoring. I only snore five minutes a night because I actually I used to snore a lot, but I fixed my sleep right. patterns and my jaw and all that. But what you can do is um, you put this lightweight tape on and your nose naturally will open up and it changes nitric oxide in the body. Nitric oxide is also responsible for blood flow in other areas where you really want them, whether you're a man or a woman. Right. And you wake up and you feel way better and your sleep quality goes through the roof. So now I'm practicing my nasal breathing while I'm asleep. Right. It's a win. Exactly. And yes, I look a little weird with a little bit of white tape on my lips, but there's great science behind this yeah. uh, from James Nestor's book, uh, Breath and the Buteco Clinic, Patrick McCowan. They've both been on Bulletproof Radio. I'm just telling you, Breathe better. 
Okay, that's four things. The fifth thing <clears throat> is gratitude. And I talked about getting your physical biology in order and then getting your mind to work better. Right. If you really, really want to do uh, uh, very, very well, every morning or every night or both, if you want to double down, all you have to do is find three things that you're grateful for. And I teach my kids this. We've done it since they were three years old every night when I tuck them in. Yeah. And the reason you do this is that you cannot be in a state of fight or flight when you're feeling gratitude. It's just a conscious off switch. There's that automated system yeah. that makes you afraid of stuff and makes you, you know, sanitize your hands when there's no reason to and all sorts of stuff like that. You can turn that stuff off by just finding a reason to be grateful. So I'm grateful that COVID-19 happened because it exposed a lot of idiotic decisions and how many decisions are not science-based. And it also motivated people to start paying attention to their metabolic health in a way that nothing else ever would, yeah. even though, yeah, there's a lot I don't like about it, but I can practice gratitude towards even things like that. And I'm grateful I had really good roast beef for lunch and whatever else. It doesn't matter how small it is. Any gratitude where you just ponder it and feel the gratitude in your, in your chest, do that before bed, that will increase your odds of living a long time and it'll certainly make it nicer to other people. So there's your five things. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the breath is, has been a massive game changer for me that I do with a bit of grounding <laughs> in the morning. Um, and the gratitude one is an interesting one. But there's something else to your gratitude practice as well. And, and I know this is because I've now got my kids to do it. So what we do is we do the three things we're grateful for and the one thing that we failed on the following oh, day. Oh, you do the advanced bulletproof way. Yeah. Tell, yeah. tell me how your kids like that. I love this. I, I've been doing it for years also. Yeah. Yeah. And, but in, in initially, the kids were quite resistant to it. But now, they actually quite like it. And they always do the failure first before they do the three things they're grateful for. But, I, yeah, I mean, I do the, the gratitude every morning. And, I, yeah, I truly resonate with that. That is a very, very important part of my day. Because for your listeners, it, it, sounds, it sounds mean to make your kids say, what did you fail at? The, the definition of failure in that exercise is that a failure is something that you worked on that you wanted that you didn't get. Yeah. And you celebrate the failure so that your kids stop being afraid of failure. So if my kids say, oh, I didn't fail at anything today, I go, oh, maybe tomorrow you can have a better day. Because today, you, nothing challenged you. Today was a boring day. Tomorrow, pick something big. Let's go for it. Yeah. And I think it does sink in. I really do. Yeah, it definitely does. And it's, it's, it's something that they want to get better at. Could be a sport. It could be anything else, you know. But it is, it's important that they recognize that failure is not a stopping point. It's not a bad thing. It's a progression in life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I think those. Are, I think they're really five important things. They. So before we wrap up, Dave, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you feel I should have asked you? I think you covered a, a lot of territory in the interview. Um, nice job. I would ask people go to daveasprey.com/slash/uncensored and sign up for my email list. What's happening, and I think you know about this. <clears throat> What's happening is that a lot of the things that I might put on my webpage or I might put on social media, you can't do it anymore. Yeah. The search engines will suddenly, if you say certain things that are backed on science, the search engines disappear you. So your website is still there, but no one ever sees it. Yeah. And what they're doing is illegal and unethical, and they will probably pay billions of dollars when the government's 10 years from now punish them for it. In the meantime, I email stuff out I, so I can tell people about new episodes and I can say, here's what I wanted to say that I'm not going to say anywhere else. DaveAsprey.com slash uncensored. And if you're not doing that, uh, definitely you guys need to sign up for the list that goes with this show because content creators, podcast hosts, health influencers like us, uh, we're having a hard time telling you the truth and email is the way to do it. So sign up for both of our lists. And what's the URL to sign up for your list? com, and you can just, yeah, sign up on the homepage. Just on the homepage. So if you're listening to this and you care about this kind of info, seriously, now's the time email is most important because no one can take away your right to open an email, but they can take away you stumbling across things that you would have seen six months ago that you won't see anymore. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's uh, becoming more and more. It sounds very, very cynical and, and uh, yeah, that, that these things don't happen, but, you know, it is clearly happening now more and more. So Dave, awesome. I really, Thank you. really appreciate you uh, for coming on today. I really appreciate, you know, the interview. And so how can, and you mentioned your new book, which I wasn't aware of. 
Um, so, you know, when's that out? Where's the URL for it? And how can we connect with you? Comes out in uh, January, but you can pre-order it right now wherever you like to pre-order books, usually from the same website. And you can go to fastthisway.com. And this book teaches you how to feel no pain while you fast and how to experience the spiritual side and the, the stuff that that's happening in your emotions and your psychology when you decide, oh, I'm going to not have cravings anymore. Like, how do, how do you do that? I teach you how to do it in the book. This is what's missing from the whole conversation around fasting. Fasting's easy. Don't eat for a while. There, I taught you how to fast, but no one ever does it. This is the book that solves that problem. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, that's, that's been fantastic. And you can go to bulletproof.com, all the Bulletproof products on there. Yep. And you've got 40 years of zen, true dark as well for the blue light blocking glasses. Is there anything I've missed? You know, on truedark.com, those glasses have made such a difference in my sleep and they don't just block blue light. There's tons of blue blocking glasses out there or biohacker this, whatever. If you block blue during the day, all of the blue, you are going to get sick because you'll break your timing system. So you have to block some of the blue, which is the stuff I do. But at night, it's more than blue. It's four kinds of light. So truedark.com, those glasses have made such a difference in my sleep, um, bigger than anything else. Awesome. All right, Dave, thanks very much for coming on the show today. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the biohacking conference next week. I'll see you there. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes. And a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com. 